Hey everyone, welcome back to Neuropod. Um, for this episode, I brought on Megan Baker, who uh, went to the same school for undergrad as I did, uh, Rose Holman Institute of Technology. It's in Indiana, and Megan is stayed in Indiana, right, and is now a grad student at Purdue. Um, and so, yeah, um, thanks for coming on the show, Megan. Um, so do you mind providing some background about yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, so I'm not originally from Indiana, but I've been here for the past five and a half or so years. Um, like I said, or like Brian had said, I did my undergrad at Rose Holman studying biomedical engineering with minors in chemistry and electrical engineering. Um, so just kind of get a little bit of a wider breadth and a little bit more into some of the stuff I was interested in. Um, in. Um, since I graduated in 2019, I've been working on my PhD at Purdue University, studying biomedical engineering as well, with my thesis topic being in neural engineering. So my first year or so has been mostly on devices and working on fabricating devices to interface with the brain. And then once we kind of have my projects validated and developed, we'll move into actually characterizing different portions of the brain and using those devices to understand the brain a little bit better. Awesome. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm curious, like what caused you to be interested in the field of neuroscience and like, can you just talk about your progression uh, oh, yeah. from undergrad to grad school? Yeah, so um, I've always been pretty interested in the medical field, so kind of decided to do that in combination with engineering in high school, kind of got pushed into that, and originally came in wanting to do prosthetics. So about my sophomore year of undergrad, I got kind of pushed into the electrical route with prosthetics because that's where a lot of prosthetics were leading instead of just like general joint implants. And then once I kind of got involved with that and looking more into electrical stuff and doing more of the electrically focused biomedical classes, that's when I kind of found that um, the brain is actually a lot more interesting, mostly because we don't really know very much about it. Or actually, let me rephrase that. We do know quite a bit, but there's a lot more there is to know and a lot more that we should be figuring out. And the idea that I could be a part of that and help kind of make an impact in that field is really appealing to me and tied in the skills that I seem to have with electrical engineering and different things like that. So yeah, okay. so just kind of slowly got excited. Um, going to conferences really helped me too. So I got a very unique opportunity my senior year of undergrad to get to go to Society for Neuroscience Science Conference in San Diego. And there, we were presenting a small research project we had, which was a really cool opportunity to be able to present research that I had done. But mostly it was a cool opportunity to just see what research was being done. And the most impactful part of that was being able to watch a panel where they actually had people who had been subjects of different research, um, subjects of different kind of like research and electrical device um, development and hearing their experience with it and how much it impacted their lives. That's what kind of fully drew me into neural engineering and neuroscience. Gotcha. Awesome. So yeah, just like the, the um, novelness um, and like potential use cases for the Yeah, so a little bit of that and mostly just like that not a lot has really been figured out or done on the application side. If we've done all this work to understand neuroscience and we've come a really long way in understanding the brain and how it interacts or how it communicates and encodes information and how the entire body is connected through these electrical impulses, but 
there is still so much that we don't know that really prevents us from being able to help with a bunch of different neurological disorders. And that's what kind of really attracted me is the fact that there are all these situations that are very common that there isn't really a super great help for. Gotcha. So. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so I think like, I guess I personally like love that that's the case uh, because I just feel like everybody should be at least minorly interested in the brain. Like it literally guides every decision we make on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, um, yeah, I'm just like so surprised how few people are interested and then end up pursuing like their entire careers in this whole industry. Um, but I guess like to your point, it seems like it's changing and hopefully it, it grows in the future and people just become more aware of the progress that has been made. Um, yeah. I mean, it's tough, especially with how complex a lot of the mechanisms are that are needed to kind of really do anything. Like I haven't actually done any brain recordings and I've been in my program for over a year. I'm getting trained on them soon, but it, like the amount of knowledge and technical skill you have to have to really be able to do some of this stuff is kind of a big barrier to entry. Gotcha. And I think that's part of like the tough thing um, that you really have to do it at this kind of higher level and um, have to be in a graduate program to really start to really get into it. And because it is such a complex thing, I guess, if that makes sense. Oh. Okay, gotcha. Um, do you mind telling me more about your PhD research and project? Yeah, of course. Um, so my specific research right now is looking into organic electrochemical transistors for use in neural recordings. So these are organic-based um, or organic polymer-based transistors that are used to amplify electrical signals. And our goal with them is to make them small enough to cover the span of a single dendritic tree, so do single cell recordings and they will sit on the surface of the brain. So because they're made out of organic polymers, they're completely flexible and they can actually be engineered to be completely transparent as well. So using this kind of technology, we're able to put it on the surface of the brain, record from single cells while also imaging at the same time. And using this technology, we're hoping to go move down or down the line once we kind of have this all validated in vitro and in vivo of using them to kind of understand different mechanisms in the brain. So my specific region will be understanding the interaction between the um, whisker barrels and um, the motor cortex in mice. And basically how mice whisking behavior, so what they're interacting with in their environment, how that um, leads to them making decisions about where they're going to move, how they're going to move, and vice versa. So different kind of pathways in the brain. I see. Okay. And then I assume the eventual progression is to try to find how this applies to humans. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it too is just like mice are kind of a really general model organism in neuroscience. And okay. it's kind of the basis of like, okay, so we don't know, we've learned a lot about the brain and we know how basically that it encodes signals and everything through action potentials. We wouldn't know how exactly they're encoded or like what different things mean. So we want to start at a simpler organism. So we start with mice. And once we understand it in mice, we can move up in organism ranges. So a fairly general progression or an ex example is from like mice to non-human primates than to humans. Just because a lot of these um, different studies are fairly invasive. And in order to fully characterize things, it's kind of rough. <laughs> um, 
like a lot of the studies I'll be doing, like after we kind of do the measurements and stuff, they end up being fatal because we have to do a full characterization of different things. Um, we can't really do that in humans or non-human primates yet. So we start at a lower level model organism and kind of work our way up. I see. Okay, I'm curious about like the specifics with with regards to like the actual connection between like inside the brain to like being like being on the surface of the brain or basically like how do you how do you get very accurate data coming to like to the surface uh, where you're able to like measure with each cell yeah okay so um electrical signals in the in the brain have kind of a few different main characterizations. So my recordings will be through LFPs, which are local field potentials. So basically it's just kind of like lower uh, frequency electrical impulses that kind of make their way up and they're more of a general kind of recording. Yeah. And then the main thing that people think about is spiking or action potentials. And those are what is being transmitted from um, axons to dendrites. So you can get useful information from both. And there's actually been papers, mostly by groups by, like Larkham that have shown that you can actually record stuff like this from the surface. And that's a useful thing because a lot of these probes and different things that are kind of commonplace to use in neuroscience right now have pretty negative immune reactions over time and cause tissue damage. And um, basically surface recordings kind of help to just avoid that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, like basically as non-invasive as possible is probably better, but um, I get, so like, obviously I'm biased towards Neuralink. And so, uh, well, I guess we can talk about this later, but um, with Neuralink, I think one of the goals is eventually to make the currently invasive procedure uh, not have any bad reactions. And so like, that's kind of, um, yeah. Just like very ambitious. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of research that have been going towards that. Um, the basic, like, oh, let me think of when it was. I oh, say so the basic, like, um, silicon probe and Utah, right? So there's, when you think of silicon, pro silicon probes, you think generally of Michigan arrays and Utah arrays, mm -hmm. and those have been around for forever, um, a really, really long time. Like, I think one of them was developed in the 80s and one even before that. Um, and those have been used for so long to record things from the brain and these, there have been so many things that have gotten them way too, way smaller and to the point where they're not as invasive. So there's a lot of other technology out there that really is like in parallel with what Neuralink is doing and has gotten similar results. He's not the only one doing what he's doing. That's the thing that has been kind of bothering me. He's like, oh, we're doing this. We're the first ones. Gotcha. This is not true. There's a lot of different labs around the country who are doing very similar things, just approaching it in a more methodical way. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So do you mind providing a little bit more like base level background about how the brain works uh, to those audience members who may be a little bit less technical. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so I guess the basic unit that you wanna think of when it comes to the brain is the neuron. Um, so you have, I think it's some obscene numbers, like eight trillion neurons in your brain. Um, and there's no way to really like record from all of them or characterize all of them at any one point because there's just so many. And these, all of these neurons form connections with each other and form networks. So within the neuron, you've got your dendrites. So these kind of are like a tree-like structure that extends from the top. And that's where you're receiving all of your information. And this happened at um, really small chemical synapses. 
And then, so once you have a chemical synapse and you have a chemical signal that goes into the dendrite, it um, gets transformed into an electrical signal that goes to the soma. And if there's enough of this electrical signal building up, then it can go, it has to reach a threshold and then the axon will um, propagate that same signal down its axon and send it to other places. And at the axon, you've got another kind of tree-like network where it's gonna send out that signal to all of these different places that, and all these other connections with other neurons. So basically you just have like signals propagating all through the brain. And in general, you have a bunch of different regions of the brain that each kind of correspond to different primary actions or sensory different things. So within your cortex, you have all your, um, um, a bunch of different cortices. So you've got like your visual cortex, your auditory cortex, your sensory cortex. So that's like all your feeling stuff, um, your motor cortex that, and all of these control um, the specific kind of places that correspond to. So your visual cortex is what takes in all of your visual input and basically makes decisions and sends on that information to the other appropriate cortices. Your motor cortex is what takes inputs about different things going on around you and what you're trying to do and actually propagates this motion and gets you to move your arm or leg in the way that it really wants to. Um, and there's a lot of other regions of the brain too. You have your, um, you have one section of your brain that is responsible for all your um, involuntary reflexes or um, actions inside your body. So that controls your heart rate, your breathing, your digestion. So things that even if you were to completely pass out and have no kind of like conscious thing, you would still be, um, would still be active to keep you alive. And then there's also a place that handles balance and making sure you know where you are. Proprioception is a really big thing when it comes to brain-machine interfaces. And that's just the ability to know where your limbs or where you are in space. Um, then you also have memory and all those different things. So these are all different areas of the brain that we can interact with. And we've there's been a lot of work done to kind of identify where these areas in the brain are. And we have a pretty good idea of the general areas, a pretty good idea of where these kind of different computations are taking place inside the brain. But in terms of on a smaller scale, how exactly these computations are happening, how they're being encoded and how they're being transmitted across the brain is where we don't know as much. Gotcha. And so it sounds like you're specifically most fo focused on like the motor cortex. And therefore, what, what do you see being like the long-term aspiration uh, for the application that you would want to, to use your research for? Um, so that, that's something I don't know super long-term what exactly I wanna go into. That's actually part of why I picked my PhD program is it's a very fundamental program. Um, there are a lot of labs that are very specific. So you have labs that look specifically at epilepsy or Parkinson's or look at um, different, mental health issues, like there's labs that look at depression and how that operates in the brain and all the different stuff. Um, my lab is just very much focused on like understanding fundamentally how the brain is working and how you're encoding this different information. So I don't actually know what I want to do long term. I'm excited about my project and I'm excited to learn more about the motor cortex and the somatosensory cortex and different things like that. But my hope is that I actually branch out a little bit after my postdoc and stay in the brain, but um, maybe look at something slightly different. And then from there, once I work towards faculty positions and designing my own lab, I have a better idea of what specific thing I want to go into. So I'm actually hoping to like branch out a little bit more after this. I'm not completely sure um, what exactly I'm most interested in right now. I just like all of it. So yeah, yeah, it's just like such a fascinating like top overall topic. It's like 
I feel like people should be curious, you know, because it just like impacts like how we, how we live and perceive things. And I mean, if you look at everything, everything kind of impacts everything. So there's, there's a reason people are interested in all different things. And it's a good thing because we need people to research those things. We can't have everyone looking into the brain and sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, okay. So I guess I'm curious where you foresee the industry moving forward today. Uh, besides like just like general progression. Um, I'm curious like if there are any things that you might have insight to as to like, oh, like this seems like it's the new breakthrough or or anything like that. Um, nothing specific. It's tough because neuroscience has gotten pretty big. Um, SFN, that conference mm. I mentioned, is actually one of the largest um, conferences held, period. Um, okay. model and scientific conferences. Um, I think oh. the year I went to San Diego, it was 50,000 people almost oh, wow. from all over the world coming to talk about neuroscience. So it's a really big field of interest and there's a lot of really big names in it, a lot of different things. And because of that, it's actually a pretty competitive field too. Um, so it's kind of hard to say if there's any one specific thing that I see kind of popping up because there's all these different focuses that people have. Some people really care about the chemical interactions. Some people really care about understanding fundamental things. Um, brain machine interface is becoming bigger because we have better tools in order to be able to do it. Um, electrical stimulation has become fairly big because again, we have better tools that are able to do it a little bit better. But I feel like a lot of them aren't really gonna be able to progress super far until we answer some of the more fundamental questions of the brain. Like, yes, we have these, we've been able to create these devices that stimulate and have these effects. Like the, a really big one to look at is Parkinson's. You can get a deep brain stimulator that is put into specific parts of your brain. And when you turn it on, it stimulates them and it causes, um, so with Parkinson's, you have a tremor and it'll cause the tremor to go away. And that's really awesome, but it's fairly new. We don't really know a lot of the long-term implications of it. And we don't know why exactly that works. Understood. And I think personal, or I personally think, and this is something that my lab, I've gotten kind of from my lab of like, if we really want to create really good, robust devices that are able to do similar things like that, we have to actually have a better understanding of what's going on first. So yes, this works and we can keep doing it, but we can't truly optimize it until we actually understand why it works. Mm -hmm. So there's, I don't know, it's, there's a lot of things going on in the field of neuroscience and industry wise, the stimulators are probably the biggest thing kind of coming out right now because they take, took the pacemaker and were like, oh, we can put this other places and get it to do other things. And so I've seen a lot more of those come out recently. Um, and then Neuralink is probably the first one I first commercialized like brain machine interface I've really seen. But there's a lot of different work going on for all of these things. If you look at um, scientific research labs, that have been okay. going on for a while, so. Sweet. And I'm curious what year that was that you went to that conference. Um, so I've been to it two years now. So the first time I went was in 2018. And then I also went in 2019 when it was held in Chicago. I think that was closer to like third, between 30 and 40,000. Um, okay. But yeah, it's held usually every single year, rotates between cities and it's always a huge conference. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Uh, yeah, like obviously, unfortunately, 2020 was probably online or- Yeah, they've, yeah, it's been canceled. They're doing some virtual events with it, but um, it's still kind of like in the works and being figured out. Okay. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's so many people that go to that because I'm just like constantly reminded that nowadays, anybody who's interested in a specific thing, like they can seek out all the information that they want online or I mean, any resources. Whereas before it just seemed like if there was something that was happening on the news or or in society, like everybody was pretty similarly aware of whatever was going on because mm -hmm. they didn't have like these little silos that they could go down and seek out all their own information. Um, yeah, uh, so then I guess I'm curious if we can start transitioning a little bit towards talking about Neuralink. Um, okay. What do you think are some of the, yeah, just like pros and cons, what do you think about it? How, how knowledgeable are you of the company right now? Um, so, okay, so I want to preface a lot of things. I am okay. starting, I am a second year PhD candidate. I'm not an expert in my field. I've read a lot about my OECTs and some of the applications of them. So that's where my really like niche little thing of focus is right now. And I've done a decent amount of reading on neuroscience and I um, have a lot of people in my network now that I talk to about it and taken a few classes. So I feel like I know some and I probably definitely know more than the average person, but I do want to preface a lot of this of like, I'm not an expert, so I apologize if anything I say isn't quite right and don't take me for like the end all be all of everything. Sure. Um, so personally, some of what Neuralink is doing, I think is pretty good. Um, the robot that they created for the surgery is awesome. That's amazing. Um, I know just from experiences that I've heard from some of my lab mates that surgical techniques are actually some of the hardest things to do. Um, it's really hard to see and when you're dealing with like surgical instruments with your hands, it's just very limited control and I know that um, any kind of blood makes imaging almost impossible, like if you hit any blood vessels. So the robot he created to thread the electrodes he made is awesome and that's a really cool piece of technology that I think will kind of make it a long way and really help the field a lot. Um, the rest of it I'm kind of iffy on. Like, I think it's a cool idea and I think he has cool aspirations, but I don't necessarily like the approach he has to it. Um, so I actually have had the chance to meet with someone from Neuralink. He is the, or at least um, when I met with him last year, he was the head of neuroscience. I don't know where he is in the company anymore. I haven't really kept up contact, but he did a presentation for Purdue and I got the chance to go and sit with him one-on-one -on -one and talk with him over coffee as well. Um, and just kind of, of like the idea of like, okay, so they're pushing really hard to create this new technology and they keep just going through iterations and they're not really like looking at the iterations and what's going wrong. So they go and they make their devices, they test it and if it doesn't work, they start over. And while it's, they're keeping a really good pace and they are making a lot of strides, I feel like there's just a lot of issues in the science with that of like, going through something so fast and not trying to understand everything about it and why it fails and like what, I don't know, it's especially because you're eventually going to be putting this in the human body. If you don't understand every single little aspect of the device you're putting in, like there's just a lot of room for error that could pop up, um, especially when you start to kind of like mass produce this. And then also just like the way they first presented it, just like rubbed me the wrong way. Like they're like, okay, so we can do this thing and we can put it in and then you can use it to make your life a little bit easier. You can use it to flip on light switches and interact with your phone and do kind of these like easy little tasks. And I get that that's cool and that's just kind of a flashy way and it's a good way to get people really interested. But 
I just worry that if that's kind of the direction the company goes into, it's going to kind of reach this area of like, okay, so now we've got this cool thing that just makes life a little bit easier. It's just kind of this like product that people want. And it's become something that only really wealthy people can afford. And they're going to patent it because that's what companies do. And then the technology is going to be borrowed from the people who could actually use it to like, I don't know, I guess I just worry about them actually working to understand and cure neurological disorders because that's not necessarily where all the money is. And with how fast they're going through everything and how flashy everything kind of is, I guess that's one of my big concerns with it. And then just also like the way they market it and the way they talk about it of how everything is novel and everything is this and this and people only do this, like a lot of it's not true. Like I was just looking on their website and they're like, yeah, everything only uses like a hundred channels. This is not true. If you look at labs out of Duke, they have actually optimized how to do like 2000 channels and they have um, validated 2000 channel um, microelectrode arrays. And that's actually more than what Elon Musk is doing. So it's just like little things like that that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way of like not really giving credit where credit's due and then just like pushing so fast and not looking at all the science of it and not, and also their like lack of focus on neuroscience kind of bothers me too. But I mean, they do, they do make really cool devices and they could do cool things with it, but I feel like they're almost trying to do too much at the same time. I, I know I kind of, blabbed on and went in a couple different directions there so i can let you answer questions about specific parts of that no yeah i think um yeah overall like interesting like perspective uh especially because like i'm typically getting fed like really positive thoughts about Neuralink, and so like just being able to like have balance and basically like realize that you know like when there when there's two sides of an argument usually like the truth lies somewhere in the middle and so um just being able to to yeah just like have balance and think about um like alternate perspectives and stuff is is important so it it sounds to me like some of the things that they've done initially have um like made you skeptical of what they're able to do in the future mm -hmm. and like that's not to say that you're uh, like closing the door on the possibility that they will figure out some of these things. Um, and like, I guess um, basically where, where my head is at is that I'm thinking that although right now it's, I suspect that it's true that they're moving a little bit quicker than the team would like um, just because I've seen that at other Elon companies and then friends who have worked at other Elon companies, like they say the same thing. Um, my hope is that, and I, th I think this is what you stated, like hopefully by the time that they have a more mature product that really will be implanted or even tested in humans, like it's a vetted out solution that they know is safe. Mm -hmm. And then if, if it is truly safe and it does truly work, then like start manufacturing. And then it becomes like, okay, don't just focus only on the money, like try to drive down costs and try to make sure that it's a super scalable solution that's available as an elective surgery to, to any, basically anybody that might need it or want yeah. it. Well, and like kind of on that too, like 
I feel like a lot of his stuff is very flashy and he's doing really cool things. And he, I know with Tesla, he has made some of it more accessible and like has the one model that's definitely much more affordable. So I guess with this, it's just like, especially with such a niche thing of like, the people with disabilities generally like don't have as much money. And mm-hmm. a lot of like, it just, it's so sad because they have to spend all this money on healthcare to kind of help yeah. them live a normal life alongside their disability. And I guess like one of my biggest fears of, with Neuralink is that they're going to take this product and they're going to make it really expensive and patent it and make this technology hard to access for people who don't necessarily have the kind of money that like would normally attract sort of like customers of Elon Musk, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, And I guess just like doing this for the pure want to improve people's lives versus making a really cool technology that you're going to sell. Like there's, I guess there's just like a big difference to me in that. Um, And that's one thing that kind of bothers me some about some big bio, like pharma and biological or biomedical device companies. I see, I see. But that's that's more of a personal thing on me and no. Yeah, which I think, I mean, to your point, like I think it's a, a valid thing to think about. I mean, like it, if you create something that's like potentially useful for a lot of people, but you like patent it and like hold it really tight and like make it not accessible, then it's like, well, not only did you like do something awesome, but you also like closed off everybody else. And so it's, it's almost like you did like bad. You like withheld everybody from making the progress that you made. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and there's a lot that goes into that. It's not just on the company's part. It's a lot to do with like bigger aspects of like overall healthcare as well and different things like that. But I guess just like in general with the way that they marketed it a little bit, that is one of the fears that has kind of come up to me. Okay. Um, are there anything, are, are there any things that you're most skeptical on the technical side? Um, for me, the, so I think the technology itself and the devices themselves are pretty sound, I'm sure, but they're, Elon, Musk's most recent or one of the tweets that got really big recently of like oh hey we're looking for people you don't need to have a background in neuroscience because people don't know anything about the brain anyways (laughs) that really read me the wrong way because if you're putting something in the brain and you're trying to actually interact and understand unlike um understand all these signals coming out of the brain like you need to actually understand the brain and what you're putting it into and everything that's going on with that because it's a lot more complicated and you can't just be like, oh, I'm sure you can model it as this. Or it's like, if you stick it in, you can read electrical stuff and you can just like use computer algorithms to figure it out. Like there's so much more that goes into it and different long-term things and stuff that like, so that kind of bothered me too of like, just they're doing this cool thing and they're interacting with the brain, um, but they really don't care that much about the actual brain side of it and like the neuroscience part. And even if you look, so the head of neuroscience that I met, he doesn't even have a neuroscience degree. He has an engineering degree, which he's very intelligent and I'm sure he knows a lot about the brain, but he is not a like specifically trained neuroscience. And I just feel like that doesn't, isn't necessarily a great sign that they're like really care about the neuroscience part of it. 
And that's such a big thing when you're dealing with a medical device of understanding the science of what's going on as well and the science behind the problem that you're trying to fix. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I think like all, all the points you brought up are, are valid and um, I think it'd be really good for uh, for the audience too and and just like myself just to like continue to make sure that we're like aware of, of all all perspectives and all sides and um, I mean I'm, I'm optimistic I'm hopeful that they are able to get to where they want to get and uh, make it accessible for everybody and and things are, do go safely um, mm -hmm. but I guess time will tell and we'll see yeah and I, like everyone that I know is still like very interested in this and like we're kind of watching it still just because we're all so curious but yeah I don't know I guess I just see these like kind of little red flags that make me kind of like curious to see how it actually is going to turn out gotcha okay okay sweet um well yeah thank you for coming on the show and um appreciate you sharing the knowledge that you've accumulated and uh yeah thank thanks again of course. yeah yeah